Hi there, Ali from Empire here. This is just a quick intro to let you know that you're listening to yet another special Empire podcast. Following on in the audio footsteps of our Terence Stamp Spectacular comes this special 40 or so minute long Mike Newell podcast, taken from the time when he came in to talk about the re-release of his favourite movie ever, La Grande Illusion. Apologies to all French people who heard that and just spat. Anyway, as you might expect from a special Mike Newell podcast, we talk a lot about Mike Newell's work, including Donnie Brasco, Four Weddings and a Funeral, as well as his work with Jerry Bruckheimer on Prince of Persia. And perhaps, as you might not have expected, Johnny Depp's love of farting. So, without any further ado, take it away Chris Hewitt, Phil Vassemlin, and, of course, Mike Newell himself. But moving on to your, yourself at the moment, Mike, I mean, because you are in post on Great Expectations. Yes. How's it going? It's going very well. Um, it's going... Uh, I like it, <laughs> but that's not always the case. Sometimes you make films that you really don't like, uh-huh. um, and you look at it and you think, "If only, if only, if only, if only." Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have any abiding regrets, particularly? What about shows I've done? Mm, about yeah. films that you've made? Sure. Yes. Bad judgments. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Yes. Absolutely. And they live with you. You you sort of carry them around, or or do you let them go? Because I guess having come from a television background, there must be an element of. What, easy come, easy go? Well, no, not that so much, but just, you know, getting into a pattern of finishing, moving to the next, and... Well, I think that's, uh, I mean, this this may well be, the delicacy of your suggestion takes my breath away. Um, I mean, if there's one big thing wrong with me, that's it. It is that I have terrible, itchy feet. <laughs> um, and... You know, you asked me whether I could. Uh, what did uh, La Grande Illusion teach me? Mm. Well, that plus um, uh, reading English at university taught me that there are standards in scripts, in in stories, and how they're put together that you had better pay real attention to. Yes, um, and you could tell um, y- you could tell Grande Illusion. Um, from a much less complicated um, point of view, and out would come the great escape. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, y- you know, you, you do begin to know where those, those boundaries lie. And th- I made an absolutely catastrophic film of uh, Love in the Time of Cholera, mm-hmm. the, the Marquez mm-hmm. novel. And I don't know whether I did... I, I, I mean, it was worse reviewed than I have ever had. I phoned my American agent on the day that it was released and in a sort of gallows humour mood um, said, all right, go on, tell me, how bad are they? (laughs) And uh, he said, oh, you want to know? Right, he said. I'm. Um, I have just been to my front door. Eight-hour time difference, and yeah. I have picked up the Los Angeles Times. And here we have the review on the front page of the calendar section, the arts and leisure section. Yes. He said, "You're going to enjoy this," and he read it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was excoriating. It was. Yeah. It was. It was dreadful. And so, what you what you'd say about that is that I loved that book. I absolutely loved the book and one of the reasons that I made the movie and it was a very very injudicious choice was that I loved the book so much yeah um, and 
in a way, no movie could contain the book. Certainly my movie couldn't contain the mm. book. I am not clever enough. Um, and, you know, you do advance to the point where you fall off the cliff. Mm. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a, an inevitable human progress. Yeah. Um, and so the danger with... The good thing about uh, about television is that you it does set in you the itch to work. Um, and the bad thing about television is that you don't ask hard enough work on what. <laughs> right. Um, yes. I was very lucky because I started in, t in TV um, in the great days of uh, Granada TV and the BBC. And so they had this very, very high quality uh, drama output. Um, and it's not that you went to you went to learn you didn't you went to work but um, th the the work sorted people out the, the the people who did not have that kind of nose for the pure air at the top of the atmosphere found their own level mm. they made series and very fine and and so did I mm. um, but then you kind of moved up until you thought hey that's a good one that's a, <laughs> you know that's that's a really um, good one and you could you can see them yeah and the good thing about TV for me was that it taught me to read scripts um, at, 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 at tons of scripts um, and um, that led to knowing what you did like and what you didn't like what you did want to do and what you didn't want to do but it, it, it TV is dangerous I, it's completely different now it, yeah. it's not the same at all but then what we were doing the joke always was the British film industry is alive and well and living in Shepherd's Bush <laughs> um, and that's you know in, in in a lot of ways that's true yeah um, uh, and at the same time it didn't quite make its Michael Haneker. <laughs> there, there, there wasn't one great dominant. I mean, you could say uh, Ken. Um, what should we call it? Ken Loach. Ken Loach. Yeah. But that's not quite. Is he our genre noir? No. He. No. There isn't another another one. He's a he's a wonderful director, <clears throat> Loach. He's absolutely wonderful, and in terms of his spread. You know he's he's brilliant at comedy. I thought Looking for Eric was was a fabulous movie, mm -hmm. um, <coughs> and he's full of conviction and so on and and so forth. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's simply that we kind of idealize and romanticize the French, whereas it's not possible <laughs> to romanticize ourselves in quite the same way. Indeed, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, you said that Love in the Time of Cholera was catastrophic for you and an injudicious choice. It got very, very bad reviews, and so therefore... But how do you feel about it as, as a film yourself? I mean, did, when, I, when you'd finished you know it, did you think, this is well, a bad No, choice? what I thought was, it wasn't the happiest of films either. There were people on it whom I loved. I loved the cameraman, I loved the composer, um, I loved the English writer. Um, uh, but... It's so, I mean, it's about a guy who falls in love when he's 17 and he doesn't ever fall out of love. It's simply that he has an enormous number of women between the 17 and the age of 67 or 70 when finally um, the woman whom he loves husband dies yes. and he can, um, and so you have uh, love and sex between old people. 
God bless the Americans. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, we had a preview in uh, some godforsaken place in Southern California, and there was a scene which I knew was a terrific scene because I'd sat in this is the preview process where you sit with an absolutely bog standard audience and and you you watch them and you feel them and uh, it tells you things about the movie it's very often very humiliating um and i'd seen 50 60 year old men cry at that point because of course everybody has one of those calf loves which they hang on to uh, and which they fantasize will one day come good and there were these ordinary middle-class Americans around me crying because they could see the leading character was in that situation. Yes. But down the front, <laughs> on the left-hand side, <laughs> see how well I remember it, was some 17-year-old little shit um, who simply saw old people uh, at it. Yes. And he very, very loudly went... <laughs> and of course he breaks the whole thing up and oh. 300 people um, uh, titter or Absolutely. roar or whatever it is <clears throat> and the trouble with the movie is that it um, it, it had ambitions beyond its uh, beyond its scope and ambitions that really belonged in, only in a novel mm -hmm. um, and certainly uh, ambitions beyond the, the talent of its director Oh, okay. You think that you you, you oh. say that yourself? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you, is that something that becomes apparent to you all in, the time. in post? In, in all the time. Yeah. No, sometimes during shooting. Okay. Sometimes during shooting, I can remember being um, in rushes on Harry Potter. I'm not, I'm not claiming anything, but it was a good Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, looking at this thing and thinking and then realizing in a way to my horror that I was actually out of my seat in front of a full theater that means 30 40 people who are people working on the film the makeup people the props people the, the designers all of that kind of stuff that I had actually got up and was down the front shouting <laughs> uh, um, at my uh, lack of talent Really? Oh yes! Oh my word! Every, everybody remembers it. People still come up to me and say, "How are you feeling?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really good film, Mike. Like, you remember which scene? Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. it, is, it is a really yeah. good film. I'm very proud. Was of it just it. one shot in particular you were unhappy it was with? One, it was one sequence that I okay. had this wonderful idea, um, uh, and I'd got it. I'd just done it really badly. Mm. And this sweet man, Peter MacDonald, who was the second unit director, came up to me and said, look, he said, it'll be, don't worry. He's sort of stroking me. <laughs> it'll be all right. Just <laughs> put it on a different lens and look at it from this side and not from that side. And then get it to go a bit quicker and it'll all be all right. <laughs> <laughs> It's really nice to me. <laughs> but it was a bad oh. moment. Yes, that happens all the time. You look okay. at it and you think, you're not good enough for that. Oh, I have that all the time. Don't we all? And people mean. agree with me constantly. So, <laughs> yes, which, me too. which is even worse. Right, right, right. <laughs> but what can, what can you do? That but, is so uh, true. Flipping, <laughs> flipping it over, do, did you have a feeling on, say, Four Weddings that you were really onto something? No. I had a little feeling that I was onto a really really good actor um, and that was Hugh mm. and no, Hugh was he had a career 
but he didn't have the kind of stellar um, thing. And I had, we'd been going to make four weddings a year before that, and we couldn't cast it. And we found this guy, Hugh, um, who wasn't available, um, who was going off to Australia to make a film with John Digan. And so he wasn't available. Mm. And I said, uh, we should put this off. We should stop now. Um, we haven't got the money yet anyway. There's, there's money hassle. Um, but we should stop right now, and we should only go when this specific guy is available. And he had this extraordinary quality that what nobody realizes about that movie is that the powerhouse is the words, mm. is Richard's words. And the um, the precision with which the, 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 the jokes and the characters and the tragedies as well. I mean, the wonderful thing about the movie is that it's got this very, very steep graph to it. And the only one of the actors whom I met with, which is extraordinary because these are English actors and they're brought up on the word, who could really say this stuff was Hugh. And there's a scene at the end of the movie where, oh God, he, ha he hasn't got married. <laughs> it's this wonderful moment where, where the, 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 the deaf guy raps on the, on the pew and everybody turns around and says, what? What's going on? And it's somebody objecting to the marriage. I was, I was a choir boy, and uh, we were always... There's always that wonderful moment in a wedding where the priest stands up and says, if any here have any let or cause it hindrance that why these two should not be joined together in holy marriage, let them speak now forever after hold their peace. Um, and we all thought, go on, do it! There must be somebody out there! Um... Uh, and and it comes true in in, uh, in four weddings, but he then goes home unmarried, yes. Yes. Um, and there's a rainstorm outside, and then the doorbell goes, and there she is. Uh, there's the girl that he should have married, um, and because we have the fire brigade, so the rain is because that's <laughs> the only way that water shows on film. It's got to, it's got to come down in chunks, so you yeah. don't see it. Um, and they were both of them soaked within uh, half a second. And the rain, of course, is hammering on the microphones. Um, so you can't really hear anything. And so it all has to be done again in an absolutely dead atmosphere like this. Okay. And it's the, it's the, it's the final speech of the film. And I thought, it's asking too much. He's never going to be able to do it. But he came in and he did it in three takes um, <laughs> because what he does and what nobody knows about Hugh, you look at him and you think, well, there, you know, there, there's, a, um, there's a gadfly if ever I saw one. Yes. But he's not. He's immensely hardworking. Um, cool. And he, that speech was rehearsed for the shooting absolutely down to the, 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 the nanosecond. And it was all it was in his head, so that when he came back in to do it, all he did was to call up that, that oh, okay. version of it, and he could he could do it perfectly. That's and he's sort of brilliant in that way. And you, you don't you don't think that about him. You think, oh, he's the you know he's the the perennial slightly toffee boyfriend and um, that kind of stuff. He's a brilliant actor, absolutely brilliant. But he's extraordinarily self-deprecating because I interviewed him recently for uh, the Pirates, yep. his new movie, and in which uh, I he, gather the voices are very good. He's fantastic. He's really good, really good in it. Uh, and he was saying that at one point I was doing a voice for this, and I thought I'd just have to turn up and speak, but I actually found myself having to act, which I don't like doing at the best of times. <laughs> I almost injured myself, and he's very, very self-deprecating. But there is, there is a great actor under under there. Yes, under that's that, that, yeah. that, that's absolutely part of the course for Hugh. Yeah, 
Uh, that that that. Oh Lord, am I going to have to act? Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Please. What was your What was your um, immediate reaction when you uh, imagine page one of the four wedding script has the word "fuck" on it quite a lot? Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Most directors wouldn't have got past it, I imagine. Oh, rubbish! <laughs> um, of course they would. Uh, no, um, what was marvellous was that to start with. The first time it was ever screened in public was at the um, Sundance Film Festival yeah. um, in good old Mormon um, <laughs> Utah. Yeah. Utah. Yeah, and half the audience walked out. <laughs> <laughs> horrible, horrible thing. Here's the first screening of your movie, and half the audience leaves within the first minute and a half. They did. Um, but then there was a wonderful thing where we were, I was back in London checking prints or soundtracks or something like that, and we went to a, a cinema little private cinema to uh to, uh to 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 do this check and my daughter who was at that stage she was about eight eight nine and she had a very zippy funny au pair girl called charlie and i said look charlie um they can come um because i can't i, I haven't got time to do anything else with them and you sit down the front and they're about uh, eight of these little girls, all, all the same age. Um, but there's there, there are at the beginning of the film there are actually fourteen fucks. And, um, <laughs> I don't want the, the the girls to have their ears sullied by that. So I want them to put their and so the film started. And there they all this little row of heads sitting on the front. And I realised the first one came up, and Charlie, the au pair, stuck a fist in the up in the air and went. One! <laughs> and by the end of it, all these little girls were going, seven! Eight! Yeah, you must as well, they didn't watch Donnie Brasco. <laughs> I'm very proud of Donnie Brasco. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Uh, before Weddings Blew Up, uh, you know, so many careers, obviously, yes, John, John Hanna, you, did, know, did, you did, and yeah. yourself. Did Donnie Brasco come about as a direct result of that? And again, and again that was... It must have in some way or another, yeah. because that's how America is, that's how Hollywood mm, is. I yeah. mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. If it tips over a kind of magic um, <laughs> figure, then the world is your, your oyster. And, of course, the, Hollywood thought I could do anything. Mm. And it then took them about three movies to prove that I couldn't. <laughs> um, and gradually, your stock in trade sort of, you know, you come back down, you come back down to earth. You come back to what you should be, you should be doing. Mike, I think you're being very modest. Mm. I mean, Donnie Brasco is a great is film. It, that is how it works. But you made Prince of Persia. Yes. So your stock, your stock must be pretty high if you're on Jerry Bruckheimer's uh, yes. speed dial. Indeed, indeed. We should not say too much about that. Um, <laughs> Why not? Jerry and I, well, Jerry, uh, Jerry is a remarkable person, and one of the reasons that I wanted to make that movie was there's an ignoble reason and there's a noble reason. The ignoble reason was that I thought I could I could uh, duck and cover mm -hmm. from the fallout from um, what should we call it? Uh, Love in the time of cholera. But the, the the noble reason was that I thought there's only there are only two types of movie I've never made. One's a western, and the other's a musical. I would dearly love to make both a western and a um, and a musical. And that movie is partly a western. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but the other the thing that it absolutely is is it's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Mm -hmm. And I I said to myself, if you're in mass entertainment. And it's if you make films of any kind, it's stupid to think that you're not. 
you are in mass entertainment. Yeah. I mean, even the great European art um, you know, art movie makers are in mass enter entertainment in some form or another, and I'm sure they know it. Yeah. Then you can't turn aside from mass entertainment. If somebody's going to offer you the massiest mass entertainment, <laughs> then do it. Find out what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel very good. Was it a different experience from Potter, where you're surrounded by people who've yes. been working on the films previously? But, uh, but I also knew, I knew the world of Potter so well mm -hmm. um, because I was English. Because there was a very particular kind of sense of humour, and Joe Rowling is a most wonderful comic writer, and they they were really the, the screenwriter um, it's a guy called Steve Clovis who's the most wonderful writer and m both wrote and directed a movie called um, The Fabulous Baker Boys which is all about a terrible tired old uh, lounge singing act yeah. and he was a great comedian as well and so I knew that you could have tremendous fun with this um, this thing which was about anarchy Really, yeah. I, I always thought that what my story was about was about anarchy. It's about it, it's about who's in charge. Are the teachers in charge or are the kids in charge? And I remember being at school and that that was every day in almost every class that was a question. <laughs> you know, yeah. you were mm. constantly pushing uh, pushing the limits. And so, of course, that was a comedy, and I was very familiar with it. I'd been to a school a bit, a bit like they made a lot of fuss about. Oh, he's been to a school with sort of you know stone columns and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> but not floating candles <laughs> and, <laughs> and sausages that magically appear. No, absolutely. Uh, so, so I was very, very familiar with it, and I was familiar with what I wanted to do with um, what should I call it? With um, Prince Prince of Persia. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> old, old, old. Um, uh, but Jerry had a slightly different idea. Jerry's rather a serious person, and I thought that it should be full of great high-flung. Romance, yeah, and Jerry. I'm not sure quite what it was. He's a clever guy. Mm. It's, it's a bad mistake to think that anybody in Hollywood is stupid. They're absolutely not. You don't stay they, at the top for 25 years no, without no, no, having no, you some smarts. Don't. They may be blinkered, yeah, but they are absolutely not stupid. Um, and I never really did because he he's, he found it difficult, I think, to express what wasn't there, and whatever it was, was not supplied by what I wanted. And I, I kept saying to him, but Jerry, come on, look, the shot, look at the shot. It's glorious. And there's the sun and then there's the dune and then there's the thorn tree. And he'd say, what story is it telling? And I said, well, damn, they've got to get from A to, 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 to K. I mean, it's a, it's, <laughs> he said, no, they don't. They, the audience will not have the patience for them to get from A to K. You go, mm. from, you go from there to there. And what he did was he hired, um, I lost a couple of good friends uh, over over the editing of that movie who were British editors who were very fine men. Um, and, um, you know, really, really talented people. But they weren't cutting the mustard for Jerry. Mm -hmm. um, and so Jerry brought in this guy, Michael Kahn, who cuts for Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and who therefore I now know, again, you know, it's 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 a. It's, I've had a fantastic um, run. I mean, I've had I've, the amount of, of of pure enjoyment that I've had. I mean, I got to work alongside, even though I sort of resented him.
but he's very eccentric. So you can't resent an eccentric. It's, yes. it's a difficult thing to do. And he works with the lights turned right down so you can see what Can you see it, Michael? I can't see it. Um, and the air conditioning racked right up. So you, you're shivering in the back. And the door is always locked. In order to get into the room where he's working, you have to knock. Right. And uh, what you realize is that he is sort of an obsessive and he's an eccentric. And it's, it was him that made the first 18 minutes of uh, Private Ryan. Oh, wow. yeah. With the, you know, uh, when no shots longer than that. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. No, he, he's a phenomenal editor. Uh, but um, I take it the Prince of Persia experience, has that put you off big budget filmmaking? I think if we were to be entirely frank and look, <laughs> look the beast in the eye, it would say that it put big budget filmmaking off me <laughs> rather than me off big budget filmmaking. Um, no, it did okay. Yeah. It made... I don't know, 380 million or something like that, mm -hmm. which probably just a huge budget mm -hmm. um, just puts it into um, profit. Only just, but then those things, you know, because of television and they, 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 the, 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 the length of life of a movie is actually much longer than anybody thinks it is. They, yeah. they, you know, a movie can go on making money for 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah. I still get checks from, you know, God knows, way back. Um, <laughs> Must be quite a, a nice surprise now and again to get a yeah, nice. It yeah, is, it is, because it does add up. What was the question? Uh, have you done with uh, big budget filmmaking? Because I know no, you, I think you, big you budget were, filmmaking has done with has me done with for you. a bit. Because you were um, flirting, weren't you? Or I don't know whether you were actually attached, but you were linked with the Lone Ranger, which was another. Everybody says that I was never linked to the Lone Ranger okay. because Jerry read um, read the the, the the you know the, the, the patterns in the sand okay. and said, "I don't think so." Okay. Um, I thought, and besides which, he knew exactly what I thought about it because I thought that if Johnny was going to play Tonto, you weren't going to get a straight Tonto out of Johnny. <laughs> you know, Johnny was going to be wild as Tonto. Yeah. Um, I had also heard the notion that maybe Clooney would play the Lone Ranger. Yes. At which point it becomes one of the great comic pairings of life. Yes. And I thought how absolutely wonderful to have a stumble bum uh, Lone Ranger <laughs> who is constantly being swept up after by by, by Tonto. That's yes. just funny. Yes. Um, and I think I said to Jerry, "God, that's a what a what a wonderful pairing." In fact, I don't think they'd been to George uh, Clooney. Okay. I'm not sure who's playing it. It's a uh, Army Hammer, who was oh, in the God, social that's, network. Oh, that's radically yeah. different. Yeah. And um, I, I think that Jerry not only said, "Do I really want to go down the, the you know any further down the line um, with this boy?" Um, but he also said, oh, I see, he sees it that way, and I don't. Yes. Because yes. what he sees is that there, and I don't know how the movie will come out. Who's who's in charge? Who's directing it? Uh, Gore Verbinski. Oh, he's back with him. Mm. Okay. Huh. And the uh, the first first still from the film uh, revealed Johnny Depp as Tonto in completely uh, white face makeup with a dead bird on top of his head. So I don't think he's playing it entirely straight, as, you, as you might say. <laughs> but you got one of the great straight Johnny Depp performances. In Donnie Brasco, and indeed one of the great downplayed Al Pacino performances. How did you how did you manage that? Because this is a man who is naturally exuberant. All his performances are very, very much Johnny. Uh, no, Pacino. Pacino, exuberant. There's a there's a careful word. <laughs> um, well, I thought Al was. They were both wonderful. Uh, the last day, Al's last day, which was a very moving day because he shot. 
weirdly, he shot his last shot on his last day. No, he didn't. Uh, it was it was his last shot, and the last shot of of Pacino in that movie is he knows he's going to be uh, he knows he's going to be killed, mm-hmm. and he's going off because he believes in the rule of uh, the organisation to which he belongs, and if that organisation says that he is to be killed, he will accept that judgment. He's never stood outside. I'm a, he says at one point, "I'm a spoke on the wheel," mm-hmm. um, and. But what he does want to do is he he wants the the girl that he lives with, whom he's not particularly in love with, but she's a sweet woman, and he knows that, and she she's kind to him, and she looks after him. Um, can't remember a character name. Um, he wants her to know that he's gone, and he wants her to have whatever she can get out of him. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves the car keys, and he leaves his watch, and he I think he leaves his That's ring. Right, yeah. Um, and he puts them in this little cabinet and then and he closes the the drawer then he thinks she won't see that you know it could stay there for years and so he opens the drawer so that she will at some point go oh what's that drawer doing open and and, and think oh that's his watch Uh, and the the key to the car and she can sell the car and he's looking after her Johnny wasn't shooting that day, so he wasn't called. And suddenly there was Johnny on the on the side of the uh, side of the set, okay. and he'd come in to see Al do his the, the the last shot of Lefty of his character, which is a fantastic thing to do. Mm, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing to do, and and is a a very full-hearted gesture mm. and when you meet Johnny he's he's very he's a sweet guy he's the nicest man um, uh, but you wouldn't say that that he was sort of Italian in his full-heartedness but that was in some way or another was sort of an Italian gesture mm. and they loved one another both of them Al gave him at the end as everybody exchanges gifts, and the standard gift is the 25-year-old bottle of scotch. So, <laughs> 25-year-old bottle of scotch. You know, thanks very much, Al. Lovely. Um, uh, but Johnny got this beautiful, beautiful guitar because Al knew that he was a musician. Yes. Um, and Al had gone to real trouble. So there was a there was a sort of love affair between the two. That, oh, can I tell you how it happened? Absolutely. I was there when it happened. So very early on. They're riding around in a in a car. A lot, a lot of that movie takes place in cars, and ooh, the awful thing about cars in the movies is that once the actors are in there, they can't get out because there are lights hanging and there are microphones, and you have to tape the doors up and all that kind of stuff. And then you, the director, with the camera, sits outside, probably on the on the bonnet of the car, and you look through the windscreen, and there there are the actors and and you shoot them but there's always a lot of faffing about and we were sort of stopped and the lighting was going and the sound was going um, and uh, suddenly from inside the car there came this huge ripping fart <laughs> and I thought what and uh, Johnny said oh he said I'm I'm oh. <laughs> Terribly sorry. And I said, no, 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 it could happen to anybody. No, please, please. And we went on. And people were still going, um, and in another couple of minutes' time, there was another huge fart. 
And Johnny said, I don't know what it is. I can't apologize to <laughs> you. And Al said, uh, and then there was a third. Right. And Johnny again protested. And at this time, Al went with a window. Um, uh, and then at the fourth one, when Al was actually beginning to find this no longer something about which he could be humane, <laughs> um, Johnny pulled out from under him the whoopee cushion that he was making. <laughs> and Al thought that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He, was, he fell off his chair laughing. And then, of course, since they were going to be together in this car for yet another two hours, he was trying to do it himself, and he couldn't. He was <laughs> hopeless of making farts with the... Uh, with a whoopee cushion, um, and that's that. That was the beginning of the love affair. Um, I can't remember the question. <laughs> I was just talking about how you got uh, such you know a straight performance out of Johnny, uh, well, and then well, a downplay performance out of out of Al. John, but, what um, Johnny does is, and you can absolutely see it in all the performances. Johnny needs a a, a handhold, uh, and the handhold will always be who, what, or who is he going to imitate. Yeah. So in Pirates of the Caribbean, it's um, Keith Whatnot. Keith, yeah, Keith Richards, um, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, for another performance, it'll be somebody else. And the side of Johnny that I loved most was Ed Wood. Mm -hmm. I was asked to leave a British Airways, um, the, the, the first class compartment, of course, of a British Airways flight from Los Angeles at 35,000 feet. I was asked to leave because it was the middle of the night and I was making much too much noise watching Ed Wood. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Ed, you see the door shake. I think it looks very natural. <laughs> as long as you were just asked to move into another cabin and not asked to leave the plane concurrently. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that must be. have been true. Um, but if Johnny can find somebody to imitate, then he'll be, he, he's, he's fine. Yeah. Himself, he's very mysterious. Mm. Um, and there's a great performance to be got out of Johnny where, what would it be like for Johnny to play, who was Freud's great sidekick? Um, you you can't hide. It would be very interesting to, uh, to, to see Johnny do that because he's a, he's a stupendous actor. And what he does is to imitate. And he found... In that film, he found that the guy that he was playing, who was the the, the FBI agent, who was still alive and who yes. was around the movie, um, uh, he he found him. And I think one of the key things that he that that, that Johnny latched onto and that gave that performance it became what it was was us asking this guy one day. We said, "What what frightens you?" Because there was supposed to be a contract uh, out on him, even um, at that time. Mafia, yes, right. mafia contract. Contracts never go away. Um, and um, he said, "Well, he said the contract doesn't frighten me anymore because they're all either in jail or dead. Um, <laughs> so I don't think there's anybody out there who's actually willing to go to the trouble of." But he said, "The the seventeen-year-old kid with a cheap." Uh, a cheap revolver who wants to get cred in a bar on a Saturday night and shoots me, that frightens me. Mm. Um, and that's why he was absolutely rigid about disguise and uh, I never knew, I never had a phone number for him. I always had to go through uh, other, other people before I could get to him. And I think that sort of obsessive uh, self-protection mm. was something that 
gave Johnny that sort of mask that yes. he had um, in that, that role. And I think as far as Al's concerned, it really amused Al that at the beginning of his career, he has Michael, uh, Michael Corleone, um, who is, I, I remember, because I, I, I found these gangsters. Uh, I thought, I, I can't make this, I can't rip off other people's movies for this. I can't be another chapter of yeah. um, uh, of The Godfather. Mm. I actually have to go and see what, what, what's what's different about this. And so I, I, I wanted to get it documentarily accurate. And so I went out and I, I, one way or another, I found a gang. And I used to go out on a Saturday with the gang and I used to go and get drink with them and eat with them and go out in the evenings with them and um, hey we bought you a present Mikey oh, that's really nice of you where where is this is there Edge come on Edge <laughs> do, you, do you still have the receipts no, is there any sad, way you can... <laughs> sadly no sadly not I was very embarrassed by it as with Edge <laughs> didn't like the idea of this at all but uh, um, this is uh, because uh, the, the the story is, and it started with the God, the Godfather, I think, I think, and it went through Goodfellas and The Sopranos. Is that the the mob kind of like uh, being in movies, and they kind of like being around the world yes. of movies? And Absolutely was that right. something that you found? Yes, uh, they they said to, one of them said to me, um, he said we all like to think of ourselves as Michael, um, who is cold and far seeing and a general of great talent. Um, we are, in fact, Sonny, who is simply, we, we simply are high blood pressure fuck-ups who can't uh, stop ourselves from the, 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 the sort of violence that's, uh, that, that, that's bred in us. And I thought that was very smart. Indeed. And they are like that. They're absolutely like that. And do you stay in touch with them at all? I've still got a phone number. No, I don't. I, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you're better not. Yeah. There, there is always a comeback. Yeah. There, there, I mean, I had a phone call three four years after and somebody wanted something and I was very quick to uh, to return the favor because they run on favors yes. and if you don't then nothing's gonna happen except you'll get a little bit jumpy yeah um, until something does happen and when it happens it's probably not going to be very dramatic but it's better to have a clean sheet with that absolutely Absolutely. Well, on wow. that uh, dramatic bombshell, Mike, I could talk to you all day long. But uh, I think I've had a lovely time. It's been thank amazing. We have thank to, you very we much. We have to let you go and finish uh, Great Expectations. Great expectations. So, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, I knew there was something. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Can I just ask one quick one on Great yeah. Expectations? You, you had a lovely parallel for The Goblet of Fire being a kind of a North by Northwest yes. style thriller. Do you have a similar touch point for Great Expectations, no, or is it very not, much its own thing? Not that. No. Exactly. But. I did have a point of view that I thought was was true uh, uh, about it, and from which the terrible—it's a, it's a terrible story. It's a story full of heartache and cruelty, and um, uh, and th th so that was very important to me. And it was that the the two people at the center of the drama who are. Pip, the kid who was going to be a blacksmith and then suddenly is transmogrified into a gentleman, um, and Estella, that they are both abused children, and they're abused by the daft, distorting, distorted 
hopes of brutalized adults. So Miss Havisham is somebody who is is horribly dumped um, at the altar and is desperate the whole of the rest of her life to shrink back from that and to make sure that it never happens to anybody again. And so she, she gets a little girl. She buys a little girl so that it should not happen to her. Um, and that will be Miss Havisham's gift to the world. Horrible, distorted, twisted kind of thing. And the same is true of uh, same is is true of the boy. Um, you know, Magwitch is is put in jail and sent to uh, to Australia by the machinations of a bad gentleman. And so, what he wants to do is to create the ultimate gentleman mm -hmm. who will take his revenge for him. Um, that's simplistic, but um, it's it. What's really interesting is that you get those links that go right the way down through the story from generation to generation, um, and I thought that that was a tremendous thing to do because both of the young people, the uh, Pip, is then horrible in his own turn to the people who yeah. have his best interests at heart. He's horrible to the simple people at home. Um, the girl is 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 horrible to him, um, and so there's this terrible chain of oh of of, of blackness that, yeah. that that spreads down through the story. That was my pattern for that. Oh, fantastic! Well, I wish you all the best with it. And indeed, very much so. This out next well, year, I believe, or later this year. I would guess later this year. Later I, this I year. think probably sort of November, something like that. Just in time for Oscar season. Oh. That <laughs> you can't say that. One wonderful like bullshit moment uh, in Hollywood when people have seen the film for the first time and they don't actually know what to say. Uh -huh. Pe people's reactions after a screening are very. The best one I know, the most cynical, is "Marvelous, marvelous, must rush." Um, uh, but there's another one which, and, and the, the, the person creeps up to you and they say very softly in your ear, they say. Oscars <laughs> and it's never true <laughs> well it's called Great Expectations so we're hoping for the best Mike okay. so uh, right. indeed I've really enjoyed myself uh, likewise like, well, thank, thank you for coming so much thank you very much Mike Neal okay.